Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today it's another bite-sized episode and this is all about exploring some thoughts on living with longer-term eating disorders. Now, my question this week has come from one of you lovely listeners, and she has said, I'd be interested in your thoughts on long-term problem eating. I've lived with anorexia, although I wonder actually if it's more ARFID, for 25 years, and I'm totally sick of it. I'm sick of the half-life, all the rules, compromises, and missed opportunities. And I've tried to overcome this alone, but wonder if my controlling habits are so ingrained it will be impossible. I'd be interested in your thoughts on longer term EDs and the ingrained habits keeping someone stuck, as this is what I fear is my issue. I feel fully aware of the issue and how to tackle it, yet my habits, patterns and routines are so ingrained I'm trapped. I'd love you to do a podcast on this. And although I do control and restrict food, it's the control and restriction I also put into every other aspect of my life, which is so limiting. I find it so hard to relax, to make any decisions, to socialize, and to give and receive affection. It's like I've learned to shut myself off to my emotions and I feel permanently numb. So I'm not really sure what to do. I've been to the doctors, but the support offered hasn't been very helpful. So now I feel resigned to living with this forever. So great, great question. And I know there are many people out there that have been living with longer term EDs. And I think what's really important to acknowledge as well is that particularly back in the day, if you tried to get help for your eating disorder, often you would be met with closed doors, often perhaps you wouldn't always get the help that you needed. So you may have pursued avenues of help and then felt that you didn't get anywhere or felt that you'd kind of had the help that should have fixed you but it didn't work and then you almost kind of gave up on yourself you felt resigned you felt oh there's something wrong with me etc and I think what's really important to say here is that thankfully eating disorder support and treatment has changed significantly I know we are still massively under-resourced with this but these days treatments tend to be a lot more psychological they are a lot more helpful and understanding and can really support people to heal. So I think if you have been very put off by getting help because of the closed doors or the unhelpful help you received in the past, don't just write yourself off. Because I think actually it's always possible to heal. There are other other opportunities. Yeah, please don't give up hope. Now for this episode, um, I asked Caroline Drummond-Smith who is a health coach at Zest Health Coaching. You can find her on Instagram at at Zest Health Coaching or her website zesthealthcoaching.co.uk. Cannot get my words out today. So if you really want to touch base with someone who has a very good understanding of living with long-term eating disorders, Caroline had anorexia for a very, very long time several decades and has made a full recovery and is now supporting others. So I reached out to Caroline because of, I really wanted to get someone's perspective who has really walked in the trenches 
with this and who really, really gets it. Because I know myself, you know, I did live with an eating disorder for nearly a decade, but I feel like I've been out the other side of that for quite a long time now. And um, my experience hasn't been, although it was a long time, part of my life, it was a very significant decade of my life. I feel like I've now had, you know, a couple of decades of being free of my eating disorders. So I have quite a different perspective now. So that's why I reached out to Caroline because I really wanted her wisdom and tips. And she was very kind to oblige and has provided me with some. So Caroline has offered six different thoughts about how to cope with living with a long-term ED and maybe just to think about how you can begin to tackle it and overcome it. So number one, Caroline says, once it has served a purpose, but it doesn't have to continue. So really accept that the eating disorder once did serve a purpose. It was probably a coping strategy for you in a time in your life where perhaps things were really out of control, emotionally things were difficult, maybe you were feeling very, very low in your self-esteem, maybe there was external triggers in your environment, maybe life was very stressful, maybe you experienced trauma or abuse or some really difficult times and the eating disorder probably came in as a sort of life raft, a thing to help you through this difficult period. Now, Obviously, an eating disorder is a maladaptive way of coping, but we need to be really compassionate with ourselves and understand that, you know, at the time, maybe that was the best thing that we had accessible to us. Maybe there was no other option or way of coping. I think no one wakes up one day and consciously thinks, right, I'm gonna use an eating disorder to help me cope. So what's really helpful is just to really think about, okay, why was it serving me a purpose in the first place? Look back to that, really have compassion and understanding for yourself. But also now ask yourself the question today, is it still serving me a purpose now? Or has it just become the only way I know how to live? Because as human beings, we get so stuck in our habits, don't we? Our ways of doing things and you know, we like our safety and our routines. As human beings, this is very normal. But sometimes we can be stuck in patterns and habits that are no longer serving us. So just really think about your own situation and the eating disorder, and is it really serving you today? Is it really helping you? Is it still solving problems for you in the way that it did? Because it's quite likely that It may be still solving problems in some ways, but probably the reason that you first used it in the first place as a coping strategy, probably some of those things are not so relevant anymore. So again, doing that kind of zoom out, looking at your eating disorder in that perspective, thinking, is it really serving me a purpose anymore? That can help you start to view it in a slightly different way. Okay, number two, linking strongly to the number one, number two is all about identity. So when you've had an eating disorder for many years, it becomes your identity, both in who you feel you are and also how others see you. And it can feel so difficult and challenging to think about who you could be without the eating disorder. But that's because there's no space in your life at the moment for anything else. So Caroline says, imagine your world as a globe made of bricks. And at the moment, every brick is ED related. So there's no space for anything else. However, once you start knocking down the ED bricks, you open up space for other things. So you won't be able to see that at the moment, but you have to trust. And it's only in a way where we allow space, where we start to take out some of those old 
perhaps decaying bricks that aren't serving us anymore, that we make space for the new bricks that could bring joy and interest and excitement and stimulation and contentment and a whole different perspective. So yeah, the identity piece, I think this is really, really challenging for many people. You might just feel like, who will I be without my eating disorder? You know, who am I without it? But it's taking the first baby steps to be brave, to remove some of those bricks and just to explore the possibility of who you could be. And you don't have to like change your identity <laughs> overnight. It can be done in incremental baby steps. So it's the classic um, C.S. Lewis quote where we think, day by, where he says, day by day, it seems as though nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different. So it's really having faith as well in those baby steps. You can't just change your identity overnight. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess you can, you know, anything is possible, but it probably feels much more manageable if your whole identity is built on an ED. You're gonna have to chip away bit by bit but it's almost like starting to take out those old ED bricks and starting to fill that with other things that can give you so much more purpose and value and fulfillment than the ED can ever give you. But it's not until you take the brave step to start to remove some of those bricks that you allow the light and the space to form so you can start to think about how else you could fill those gaps. So number three, the next thing that Caroline talks about is dealing with shame. So there's often so much shame attached to having an eating disorder, particularly as an older adult, because I guess the stereotype is that eating disorders affect young people. So we can feel that people are judging us and thinking, oh, you know, they should have had their life sorted out by now. But the longer we have an eating disorder for, the harder it can feel to recover. But I think what's really important is that your struggles are just as real as someone who has a more stereotypical, younger ED presentation. So it's really important just to be so compassionate with yourself. And as I was saying at the beginning, you know, like back in the day, there just was not the help available. So you probably have struggled with this on your own, like trying to muddle through, you know, maybe when you tried to reach out for help, you didn't get the help you needed, you got really unhelpful help, you've met closed doors, and you might have just given up on yourself. But it is never, never, ever too late. And this is again is for all the eating disorders. Obviously, my listener is talking more here about anorexia slash ARFID. But I know as well, when I've been working in the NHS recently, running binge eating disorder groups, we have so many people in the group who are in those in their 50s and 60s and never got help before because they didn't realize they had a problem. They just thought they were kind of chronic dieters with not a great relationship with food. They didn't realize they had binge eating disorder, that they were living with an eating disorder. So it's never too late to get the help that you need. And actually to reduce shame, it's about bringing our issues out into the open in a safe place, you know, talking openly to someone, maybe in your life who you really trust, maybe going to your doctor, maybe asking to speak to one of the doctors in the surgery who has a real understanding of EDs. But really you know reducing shame by talking openly bringing things out into the open and recognizing you are deserving of support as much as anyone else and having that huge 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 compassion for yourself number four asking for help so don't be ashamed to ask for help and you may want to look for an older coach slash therapist um, maybe someone who's had an ED, um, you know somebody perhaps that you feel like is going to get you and has that kind of wisdom 
And I think there's no right or wrong here. You might not want to work with an older person at all. You know, I think you've got to follow your intuition and, you know, seek out someone where you feel that you have that safety and trust and you can open up. And I guess age is really irrelevant. But sometimes it might be more helpful for you if you feel like you've suffered with an ED for a long time and you um, have suffered for several decades, you might want to work with someone who you feel has that kind of wisdom and experience and um, you just feel there's that kind of acceptance and understanding. So it can be the most reassuring thing on earth to know that your therapist has been through what you're going through and there's absolutely no judgment. Um, And it can feel embarrassing if you're talking to a coach therapist who's possibly young enough to be your own child. And I think, you know, Caroline sort of shares this very openly. So I think, again, there's no right or wrong here, but I guess you've just got to trust what feels right for you. And really at the end of the day, it's about the person, isn't it? And about the relationship the therapy relationship, the helping relationship that's gonna be the most healing thing. And you just need to find someone for you where you feel safe, where you feel that you can be accepted and encouraged and heard, and where you can start to be vulnerable and open up and reduce all that shame. Number five, Caroline talks about the culture. So toxic old diet culture, as we're always banging on about on this podcast. So I think, again, you know, if you are older as well, society sends out the message that as we get older, we should be making an extra effort to keep the younger body, to get fit, to lose weight. And it sends us totally unrealistic and damaging messages. And the majority of society as well believes these messages. So what's really, really unhelpful as well is, um, you know, you can just hear people all around you going on about losing weight, etc., in your peer group. And that can be really triggering and confusing for you when you're acknowledging you have an eating disorder. So as a person trying to recover from an eating disorder, if your aim is to gain weight, you'll be going against the tide of the culture. And you may be worried that people will be thinking, what on earth is she doing gaining weight? when the whole world would love to be as thin as her or him or them. (laughs) But in fact, people who care about you will be so proud of you trying to weight restore and will be so thrilled that you're beginning to take care of your body. So I think great point here made by Caroline that it is challenging. And I think this is for anyone recovering from an eating disorder. You know, you're living in a culture which is constantly promoting diets and weight loss and loads of activity all the time. So you really do have to get in your own lane, put your earplugs in, put your blinkers on and think actually what is right for me? Because actually if you're going to recover from particularly a restrictive eating disorder and you're very underweight, it's going to mean that you're gonna have to do probably a lot more eating and regular eating than other people around you who might be on diets, etc. But that is okay, you know, you are healing yourself, you are doing the valuable work, you are doing what you need to do for you. And the same if you're recovering from binge eating, um, because you might feel as well, you know, if you're in a larger body, you might feel I don't have permission to eat regularly and when everyone around me is dieting, etc. But it's so important. You know, I still feel for me like years on after recovering from bulimia, regular eating is such a scaffolding and helpful part of my life that keeps me absolutely in a great relationship with food. And I have no shame in if I'm going out for the day, getting out my snacks, making sure I'm really fueling myself, voicing my needs about when I need to eat. Because I know that that's self-care and self-love and it's keeping me in the zone of where I want to be, in that really healthy place, 
healthy relationship with food, healthy relationship with myself. And number six, Caroline says, do get help and support from your loved ones and people that care about you. So try and include your loved ones in your recovery. They will have spent years being worried about you because I think people around us often, they are really worried, but they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They're really worried about saying the wrong thing. And sometimes maybe they have said the wrong thing. And then it means they then turn to avoid the topic altogether. So the more open you can be with them, the better. And this can be extremely difficult when you've had an eating disorder for so long, as you're used to being very secretive about it. And also your relationships with them will have been affected. But these can be mended. You can rupture and repair with love and patience on both sides. And ultimately, the people that really love you and care about you do want to help you, but you might need to really educate them and tell them assertively what they need to do to help you. So say for example, if someone thinks they're being really helpful by always asking you like what you're eating or commenting on your food, you might just really need to say to them, if this is right for you, actually please don't comment on my food. You know, what is helpful to me is that you listen to me and we, you know, I can talk about my feelings with you and whatever it is. Or maybe that they say some encouraging, positive, uplifting statements or give you that kind of praise and validation and support if you need it. Or maybe you don't really want people commenting and actually just being gently supportive in the background is much more helpful for you. So I'd really encourage you to think personally, what is it that I need from my loved ones and take responsibility for that. Actually, you know, find your voice with that. Really think about this is what I would like people to do. And then, you know, communicate that to them clearly because ultimately your loved ones want to help you. Ultimately, they may be having very good intentions, but not helping you in the most supportive way. But it's so helpful if you can take responsibility and owning your recovery and really getting them on board in the most helpful way possible. Okay, so Caroline has also shared some practical tips for how to make a start in ED recovery as well. So Caroline says, if you're starting to recover without support, a good place to start is by writing down a list of all your habits and behaviors that you know are ED related. So can you change one tiny thing within one habit or behavior? Now, when you do this, you might find that, I cannot speak, that your list is really, really long, really, really long and just terrifying and overwhelming and you just think, oh my goodness, where am I ever gonna start? How am I ever gonna like tackle all of this? But again, back to C.S. Lewis, the long game. Day by day, it seems as though nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different. So again, really engage in the long game. You probably had an eating disorder for years, so you can't just think, ah, oh, six weeks time, I'm gonna be cured. <laughs> You've got to think, okay, this is like a long-term project. And if you really engage with the long game, just think how much progress you can make in a year or two years or five years, you can be in such a different place. So really engage with that. Another thing Caroline says is write down your fear foods on separate pieces of paper, put them all in a jar and start by taking one out every week, then make it more frequent. So this is like, you know, pulling the bit of paper out of the jar, seeing what food is on there, and then practicing to introduce it. Now doing this alone isn't always easy, so be really gentle with yourself. And also consider educating yourself on basic nutrition. That's if you don't have the knowledge already. 
and it can be helpful to begin to accept why you need to nourish yourself. Because I think as well, when we live with an eating disorder for so long, sometimes our perception of what is good nutrition has become very, very warped. Actually, we're not really eating in a very balanced way. We're not including the full range of nutrients and you know foods that our body needs. So if you do need to get a bit of education on nutrition, you could meet with an ED dietitian for a couple of sessions just to get a bit of guidance with that. Um, you know, you might feel that you have the knowledge already. Sometimes I think people with eating disorders would be very good at feeding someone else, but the problem is more not being able to do that for themselves. They have the knowledge, but being able to apply it for themselves is much more challenging. That is normal. So have a go with that exercise, writing down your fear foods on separate pieces of paper, and you can start again with baby steps to step out of your comfort zone. So some great practical tips there from Caroline. One thing I want to add as well is just to say that once you begin to relax some of your rules around food and that your brain is less starved, your body becomes more nourished, some of your other obsessive rituals will start to reduce. Because of things like hoarding, having a very rigid routine, having to eat foods in a certain order, you know, feeling ruled by all these shoulds and obligations, a lot of that is a result of living with a starved and restrictive brain and your body is in survival mode. So as you start to nourish yourself better, you will find that a lot of these rigid routines, um, etc., start to dilute and will eventually, you know, reduce and disappear. Again, this is a process. Now, if you want to find out more about that side of things, I'd really recommend like listening to Tabitha Farrar's podcast or like reading some of her books because she's done some great, she has, she provides great information through her own recovery about all of this and, you know, talks really, really openly about some of the routines and rituals and habits that she got into and how ashamed she felt for all of these, but really acknowledging that so much of it was down to the starved brain and actually coming out the other side of that and realizing that actually when she was nourishing herself, a lot of these things changed. So I guess just to kind of really give you hope there. So do sort of seek out her work if you haven't already. And I'd say as a final thought as well is when you are in a restrictive, starving place, you're very much in a striving or kind of fight flight place. You are not soothing yourself helpfully. You know, the starvation, the overexercise, the binge eating, whatever has become a maladaptive way of self-soothing. So what's really helpful as well is start to begin to work on calming your nervous system finding ways to really self-soothe and take care of yourself, you know, in the way that you would for your child or a really good friend or your pet. You know, you would do things to make them comfortable. You'd make sure they're getting enough rest. You'd make sure they're being nourished. You would sort of stimulate their senses to make them feel good. Um, you know, so for example, with a pet, you would be stroking your pet. You know, maybe your cat would be purring as you're stroking it, and that's a very soothing thing on both sides. So when you're thinking about self-soothing, think about utilizing the five senses. So sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch, and try to maybe explore for the very first time, what is very, very soothing for you? How can you slow down? How can you begin to take time for yourself? Because when you're in a ED, you're often running around at crazy pace, you're not soothing, you're in fight flight, you're prepared for danger, survival, and that's an exhausting way to live. 
Okay, so and start really small with the self-soothing. Maybe you can start with like five minutes a day. And maybe if you've never done this before in your life, you you need to almost ex- experiment with it. You know, it doesn't matter if you think, I don't know how to self-soothe. I mean, of course you don't. You know, if you didn't have that as a child, if you've been using your eating disorder as a way of self-soothing, of course you don't know how to self-soothe. To have compassion for yourself, but you can learn this at any stage. You can, you truly, truly can. And, um, you know, I know this from my own experience. Um, I have had to work really hard on slowing down and being less strivey and not being in the fight flight place and taking time to really soothe my nervous system, to take time for myself and to really step into that place where my whole body feels much more relaxed and calm and content, where I can truly rest and relax and restore my energy such an important part of being human and you can still have your strivy part that achieves and goes for the big goals if that's important to you and you can still have your fight flight when it's needed if you need to run away from a bear or um I don't know you know protect yourself if your house caught fire and be able to react in a quick and responsive way but you don't want to be living like that day to day hour by hour minute by minute Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Just to say thank you again so much to Caroline Drabben-Smith, who has provided um, the majority of the tips for this um, episode. So you can find Caroline on Instagram, Zest Health Coaching, or go to zesthealthcoaching.co.uk. That's Caroline Drabben-Smith. And Caroline's someone who lived with a long-term anorexia for a very long time and has made a full recovery and is living her best life. So such an inspiration. So thank you, Caroline. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're not following me already, do seek me on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.